Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. Here we are together in Torah study. Uh, I'm Pastor Scott. Let me open up my notes uh, today. We're going to get into uh, the teaching on Noah and end-time Bible prophecy. Are you ready uh, uh, to study some of the Word? Uh, This week is uh, uh, Torah portion number 2 in Genesis 6-11, through and it's called uh, Noah or Noah. Uh, and uh, it's the second Torah portion of the year, and it just happens to be my birth portion. Okay, so way back when, you need a DeLorean to get back that far. Uh, uh, I was born uh, the week that uh, the Noah Torah portion was part of the uh, weekly Torah study. And uh, every one of you has a weekly Torah portion, or a, excuse me, a birth Torah portion. And uh, you can go to uh, the internet and type that in and find your own. I found mine on Chabad.com, and if you go to Chabad.com, you can type in birthday calculator and it will lead you uh, to a little thing where you enter in some some things and boom, they'll give you uh, the Torah portion uh, the day you were born. And within that, uh, it uh, in ancient Jewish tradition, your Torah portion is said to contain a lot of your life's purpose. And so it's interesting uh, that... Uh, Noah is the righteous Gentile. And here we are, uh, all these uh, years later, I got saved in 1984, never understood Judeo-Christianity very well. Uh, when Pastor Larry came back and gave us that revelation in the, I think it was about 1994 or 5, uh, that Jesus was Jewish, it finally connected the dot to the old bumper sticker, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. And uh, what a journey it's been uh, all these years. A lot of study, uh, a lot of digging into the Word, a lot of uh, re-understanding the Bible through the eyes of a Jewish Jesus. And so here I is, a righteous Gentile, teaching uh, the Jewishness of the Gospel. Not to diminish what Jesus has done, but to amplify it. Jesus Himself said in Matthew 5, I did not come to abolish the Torah. I came to show you how to live it. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. He basically goes through six key areas of life and living and reinterprets what it means from the Messiah's point of view. And it meant everything that the Jews understood up until that point and even more. 
And so uh, it's a fascinating journey. It's not legalism. It's not so we can become ritualistic and mechanically serve the Lord. It's because of the revelation that's involved. And uh, if if we've been doing good without the Judeo side of Judeo-Christianity, how much more will we experience once we bring the two together? So that's what we's doing here. Amen? And so my goal today in studying Noah uh, is to connect some dots for you, for all of us, to the prophetic teaching that comes out of Noah. Uh, we all know about the story of the flood. Maybe we just have the Hanna-Barbera version of the flood. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, uh, all of that happened. It's all true. Uh, but there's some prophetic things that come out of Noah that connect us to the signs of the return of the Lord. And uh, how many of you sense and feel that uh, all the signs are starting to fall into place and we really could be in the very last of the last days? I know I feel that way. This church feels that way. Pastor Larry feels that way. Uh, in Matthew 24, Jesus makes a astounding uh, comparison uh, to Noah and the last days. In verse 37, uh, the Bible says, Jesus says, When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. Amen. And then it goes on from there. For the sake of time, just read that whole section. But uh, here we see Jesus' teaching that Noah's story is a shadow and a type of the last days. What's going on in Noah is going to, uh, history's going to repeat itself, uh, in many ways. And so in the ten generations between Adam and Noah, society was on the decline. There was a progressive rebellion. The roots of rebellion grew and grew and grew against God's way of life. God was speaking through Adam... God was speaking through Enoch. God was speaking through Methuselah and some of the other saints of God at that time. But the world wasn't listening. And they rejected, renounced, and rebelled against God's way of life. And things became increasingly lawless. Increasingly hostile. More violent. More secular. More immoral. And more corrupt. And in Genesis 6-5, part of the Torah study, it says the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Now, it didn't start that way. But, here's what happens when good people do nothing. Right? When good people stand by and just allow things to happen, then evil will triumph. 
right? And so uh, we need to be as Noah was, a preacher of righteousness. And we need to push back against corruption and immorality and be a voice and a vote against that insanity. Yeah? Do you agree with that? Give, Give the Lord a big amen. So in Noah's day, there was a great flood. There was actually two great floods. One was in the natural, all the the water that flooded the earth. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and the ground opened up, And uh, except for the eight and all the animals in the ark, the world was flooded and destroyed, and God says, we're going to start this thing over. But the other flood came after that. Once uh, uh, the ark uh, landed and Noah and the family got back and civilization was restarted, there was another flood, a flood of evil, a flood of wickedness, even after the flood. And, uh, and so this, the great flood and all the things associated with it, are meant to be a shadow and a type of what the book of Revelation and the Apostle Paul especially, but Jesus himself, uh, speak about in the great tribulation. There's a great tribulation coming. The end of time is coming. And there's going to be a great judgment on the world. Uh, the tribulation, the book of Revelation, isn't the devil succeeding. It's God judging an evil and rebellious world. It's kind of like a great jubilee. On jubilee, everything that was lost or stolen reverts back to the original owner. And this is our Father's world. And so this great jubilee is everything being restored to God's order, God's way, but the world doesn't want that to happen. The forces of darkness are fighting back. They want to stay in control. The devil wants to continue to be the God of this world. And so all these things are in play, even the music. This week's study includes a study on Nimrod. Nimrod is a a great hunter, a great leader in his time. And he's the one that came up with the idea of the Tower of Babel. Uh, He came onto the world stage after the flood, and the Bible says in Genesis 10... Uh, in verse 8, that Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. So this uh, repetition of the phrase mighty hunter is no accident. Uh, God is revealing a secret when He repeats things twice. And here, the secret has to do with Nimrod's character. A mighty hunter here means rebel, agitator, revolutionary. And so, Nimrod is all of that and more. 
He becomes the very first type of Antichrist. Okay? He's empowered by the devil. He rebels against God. He leads a mutiny against the principles of God, against the Bible, and anyone who represents godly values. And he attempts to unite the human race into a one-world government with a one-world religion. This is where the Tower of Babel comes in. It's a shrine. It's a temple. Uh, from which he is going to set himself up as ruler over everyone. He built this infamous tower not with stones, which have a uniqueness to it, uh, but rather he built this with bricks. And this is symbolic in the new world order that you're just another brick in the wall. Everyone needs to think the same. You can't have a varying opinion. If you have a different opinion than the government narrative, then you will be canceled and ostracized and might have to pay for it with your job or worse. Nimrod had that going on. And I don't know how closely you follow things in the world today, but a lot of that's going on today. The spirit of Nimrod is alive. And so, uh, this original system is what begins what the Bible calls Mystery Babylon. And Mystery Babylon is a system that wants to be set up throughout all of the earth to control. We think it's Republican and Democrat. We think it's conservative and liberal. We think it's this race versus that race. And people want us to think. And, you know, to a certain extent that's true. But at the very root of it all, it's the haves against the have-nots. It's the believers versus the unbelievers. It's those that love God against those that hate God. It's, It's the whole idea of good versus evil. Mystery Babylon is the system that promotes evil. And it's alive in every generation. And in the last generation before the Lord returns, it's going to be like the uh, days of Noah, so bad, so corrupt, so weird, so insane, that this whole thing has to be brought down. Yeah? And so Nimrod's ultimate intention, and very deceptive, intention was to wage war against God. When people say we're anti-Zionist, anti-Israel, they're really saying they're anti-God. When America says we're one nation under God, and all of a sudden leaders are making rules that tear down the founding principles, biblical values, and in their place insert immoral, secular, humanist, uh, pagan, heathen things, who elected Molech? Who wants Baal in charge? So... Babylon needs a Nimrod, a spokesperson or spokespeople, 
who want a new world order. Ever heard that phrase? If you follow uh, things in, in the current events, you hear some of that. Well, this is a new world order. That's a cue. That's that like, what do you mean, new world order? What do you mean you want to fundamentally transform America? The God of this world has a plan for that, <laughs> right? Why wouldn't the God of this world, small g, want to transform a one nation under God into a one nation under government? Because then I can make everyone like Nimrod did, a brick in the wall. In ancient Jewish wisdom, the people that were building the Tower of Babel, uh, they would not cry if one of the workers fell to their death. But if a brick fell and was broken, they would weep over the brick. Just a total reversal. The mindset, the psychology, that human life isn't as important as things or their agenda. So, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be just before the Lord returns. And right now, we're just in this time where we're seeing an unlimited flood of deception. A great falling away from serving the Lord. There's Nimrod types in every generation. In our generation, it's always about them, never about us. Yeah, well, you've got to pay $7 a gallon for heating oil up in New England where it gets below zero, but, you know, just, you know, you'll, you'll survive. They're clear cutting forests in Germany so that ancient forests just so they can have wood. The, uh, uh, the government of Britain announced the other day expect for 10,000 or more people to freeze to death this winter because there won't be enough heating oil. What kind of society allows that? They allow it because their agenda is you're expendable and my uh, climate change green is all that matters, Right? And we could go on and on. There's, there's 101 examples there. Uh, but when people uh, are anti-Christ, anti-God, they're going to uh, impose the most bizarre and immoral things. That, that, and we're seeing that now. It, it, who, uh, even the oldest people in America, probably thinking back, I've never seen anything like what I'm seeing today, and and so it's coming from this spirit of Nimrod, as in the days of Noah, this great falling away, this mutiny, this rebellion against the things of God, and we're seeing the world of politics, science, big tech, big business, big pharma, colluding together uh, so that they, in their cabal, can impose a one-world government. Just think about what's happened in the last uh, couple years. The new world order just suddenly is in charge, right? No one voted on it. We didn't have a, a debate on it. It's just all of a sudden, uh, we're going to defund the police. We're going to make everyone less safe. And the criminals now are going to be the victims. 
We can't have them in prison. They've released tens of thousands of hardened criminals onto the streets in their efforts to destabilize a society. That's insane. How, how, how is it that the victim is just brushed aside? Well, you got run over by a car in a crosswalk the other day, but we feel sorry for the guy driving the car. People felt sorry for the Christmas Day massacre. Remember the Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin? The guy mowed down some uh, dear old ladies, killed them all, and we're sorry for him. And not for the people that died at his hands. Uh, Who thinks no cash bail is like, where did that come from? Who decided that well, if, if you shoplift and it's under $1,000, no worries. Ask the guy running the business that's losing all that. that, that that's my livelihood. It desta- 911 anymore. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, please leave your name and number. We'll get back to you in a half hour or as soon as we can. In just a couple years, America, the beautiful, has become a nation with no borders. Now, we all love immigration. Our families have immigrated. But there ought to be a decent and orderly way for that to happen. What happened to Ellis Island philosophy where you come in you go through a process and people you register people are just walking in i i saw a research that 5.5 million is the number in two years and it's expected to double in the next two years do you know do you realize how many it 10 million Undocumented people with no passports, citizens of other countries with no passports, no vetting, just released into society. They've emptied jails and prisons in other nations. Go to America. They want you. And here they are, just showing up by the millions. And we're just, uh, who voted on that? I guess in some way, the leaders that you elect, uh, as someone once famously said, elections have consequences. And it bothers me as a believer that no one cares about the sex trafficking. About the bags of fentanyl. Every day you're seeing, oh, this guy gets busted with uh, 10,000 fentanyl pills. They're all colored like Skittles. So that we can distribute those. The leading cause of death in uh, young people right now is ODing on fentanyl. Where's the fentanyl? They're coming across. But we, we, you know, we can't build a wall. We can't expect anybody. Let them tunnel. Let them walk. You know, let anybody, let the cartels have their way. That's madness, folks. It's madness. But it's as in the days of Noah. 
Imagine Noah thought the same thing. Y'all don't realize there's a judgment coming. I'm building an ark to be a testimony that God is saying something that one day I'm patient, I'm long-suffering, I want everyone to have ample time to come to their senses. This big giant ark should be the shrine, not the Tower of Babel, but the ark should be the shrine. Okay, God is saying something. I better uh, listen up. How did we get to the point where now men can be pregnant? And if it, people say it with a straight face. Who, who is for that? Please, somebody tell me what politicians are for that. And if they're politicians trying to create a safe haven for that philosophy to be taught to my little grandson, that's madness. I don't know how a lady feels about this, uh, but women and moms are now called birthing people. What the heck are you talking? Some, some politician in a suit came up, and, and we're going to buy into that and just, okay, you're not a mom anymore, you're a birthing person. Is someone getting stirred up with some righteous... In the days of Noah, this is just the weekly Torah study, right? Next week we may be on to something a little more happy. But don't be so busy building your little kingdom and don't care about the, the, the bigger picture and all of a sudden you're next. How does a trans movement secretly create a system where doctors and hospitals can castrate children without their parents' permission? I've, well, you can't talk about this stuff in church. You better wake up. This is an assault against God and God's values. Chemically castrating kids without their parents' permission? They've exposed hospitals like the hospital at Vanderbilt and at UCLA, other major hospitals, secretly castrating kids because they're, they have a gender dysphoria. It's irreversible damage. And then they silence the people that did it and say, look, y'all, I did that. It was stupid. I have never, it, it never helped. It never accomplished what they, but see, uh, you have, look, the LBGTQ plus movement isn't done adding letters. Listen to me now. Have you ever heard of the phrase minor attracted adults? That's the new phrase. Minor, he's just a, she's just a minor attracted adult to reduce the stigmatization of pedophilia. You start, so, you know, how on earth is our society going to elect leaders on all levels that allow for this kind of insanity? 
And then if you object, we'll call the FBI on you, and you'll have an FBI guy knock at you. What are you doing objecting to pornography in the libraries? They, they actually show these. Uh, they've had parents go, this is a book from the library showing my th- third grader how to perform things that they ought never have. Who gives you the right to? And all the school board people, they just sit there like... So when it comes to politics in the pulpit, if, if where's the preachers of righteousness? Amen. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And warning, look, you all can't behave like this. Don't get me started on critical race theory. Division and hatred and violence because of someone's skin color? What did Martin Luther King fight for? And all the people in the civil rights movement fought for equality where we wouldn't be judging people by the color of our skin, but rather by the content of our character. And now people want to go back and start picking out people that have no control over what skin color they are and declare them evil and they must be Silence, they must be rebuked. What, what, what? Where's the preachers? It's the preacher. In the Revolutionary War, it was the preachers who were called the Black Robe Regiments rose up and said, ah, there's too many things that King George and the monarchy in Britain want to impose that we don't believe are biblical, we don't believe are right, and we're pushing back. In the book of Revelation, the very first plague, it's kind of similar to Pharaoh and the plagues in Egypt. Revelation, there's 21 plagues that are released in a series of seven. And the first series of seven are these seals. Who is worthy to open the seals? The book of Revelation. And only the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God opens the first seal and it's uh, a horseman. There's actually the first four plagues are led by what are called the four horsemen of Revelation. Not the four horsemen of Notre Dame football. Nuke Rockney era. <clears throat> and what I find so amazing about this description in Revelation 6, uh, these four horsemen and the riders, uh, the first is a rider on a white horse who wears a crown and holds a bow, yet there's no mention of any arrows. The text says he is a conqueror who comes to conquer. But because there's no mention of arrows, it's believed that this conquering will somehow happen without a military action. But it'll be something else, some other way to control the world and bring people into this place of a one-world government, one-world econ- uh, economy, one-world religion. 
what God is doing in the big picture, we're making it real obvious what side you're on. Are you on the Lord's side or are you on Nimrod's side, the Antichrist side? In today's context, this white horse and rider could be understood to be a political war, a legal war, a medical war, a technological war against the masses. Now what's so amazing about this very first horse and uh, is that the rider is wearing a crown, like kingship, like uh, this is the one crown to rule them all, the precious. And if you translate the word crown uh, in Latin, it means corona. Crown is corona. Now, I don't know if that is a direct link to what we're seeing with corona taking over the world. Death to millions of people and just a big massive cover-up on how it started. And, and look, y'all don't know this, maybe you watch, but Boston University was caught the other day doing the very same thing they're do, they did in the Wuhan lab, only eight, uh, what was it, 80% more deadly and dangerous in Boston. And guess who's behind all of that? The people that were on TV telling you all these things, uh, they're behind this gain of function. The first rider riding a white, wearing a crown, in Latin, the word crown means corona. I don't know how that all adds up, but in Dallas, it's a clue. <laughs> And so, how did we get to all this point? You could argue that it began in the 60s. How many of you grew up in the 60s? I was in junior high in the 60s and uh, watched the, 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 this whole rebellion against the Vietnam War. And yeah, there were reasons that I agree with why we shouldn't have just continued on. Uh, but nonetheless, the society of free love it's, it's, it's the time where we're going to rebel against Bible values. And in 1962, the Supreme Court struck down school prayer. Prayer in school was no longer going to be allowed, according to the Supreme Court. It was an, a secular attack on religious freedom. And here's the actual prayer that was at the center of this uh, judicial action. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon Thee and beg Thy blessing upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. Can't say that. That is, that is a violation of the Constitution as that Supreme Court interpreted it. And once they did that, the floodgates, the Pandora's box is suddenly open. The next year, the infamous Madeline Murray O'Hara went to work and sued the Baltimore School District to get the Bible kicked out of public school. And the Supreme Court ruled in her favor, 
And listen to one of her rants. This is one of her quotes at the time. We find the Bible to be nauseating, historically inaccurate, and replete with the ravings of madmen. She said, we find God to be sadistic, brutal, and a representation of hatred. And the Supreme Court sided with her. So when you elect leaders like a president and the president can decide who to appoint to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court is uh, filled with people that have that Nimrod, Antichrist spirit and they don't rule the way you or I would rule, this is what you get. Banning prayer. Now, there, since then, through legal and lots of uh, action, some of that has been reversed, but a lot of the damage has been done. It's David Barton, he shows you all the things that have happened post-1962. A spike in immorality, a spike in divorce, a spike in illiteracy and illegitimacy, and violent crime, and venereal disease, and premarital sex, and teenage pregnancy, and suicide, drug use. All these social ills dramatically spiked once we kick God out of school. And yet, where was the church? Right? Where was the church? We, we talked about this the other day on Wednesday night um, in our American Heritage series that 176 million Americans claim to be Christian. But only 9% have a biblical worldview. This is according to David Barton and uh, famous researcher George uh, Barna. He's kind of like the Gallup of Christianity. 9% of 176 million Americans have a biblical worldview. That means we believe the Bible is the supreme authority. That all the rules, all the ordinances, all the morality, the ethics uh, uh, that come from the Bible is a good thing. So what about the other uh, uh, you know, 10% would be 17 million. You know, what about the other 150 million? What do you believe? Now, no one here would, would believe in anti-Bible views, right? Say amen for the people watching on Zoom. <laughs> Millennials are ages 18 to 36. And I don't know now that's probably changed slightly, but... Uh, They've led the way in rejecting Bible values in favor of secular values. Um, The studies that they've done show only 2%, listen to this, 2% of American parents with children under the age of 13 have a biblical worldview. 98 out of 100 parents don't have a Bible view of life, even though I'm a Christian. I'm going to church, I'm hearing the gospel preach, but the Bible and what it represents when the rubber meets the road, the values, eh, that's a bridge too far for my family. Meaning, I'm going to church, hearing the gospel, but I'm supporting the devilish 
points and policies and not Bible points and policies. How can you impart a biblical worldview if you don't have one? Well, the Bible was good in its time, but things change. You know, the Bible says homosexuality is one of the forbidden things, but but nowadays in modern society, we need to lighten up with that. Yeah. Okay, so whatever you do in your privacy of your, we thought that was going to solve the problem. Well, as long as it's in the privacy of your own home, da da da. Yeah, yeah, it was the camel, the camel's nose. Once the, you get, a, and now all of a sudden there's chemical castration taking place with 13 year olds, and the government says you don't have to tell the parents. What are you trying to replace my authority as a parent? Yeah. Yeah. Three, they interviewed, they surveyed 384,000 churches. That's a big sample size. Only 3% were willing to preach what I'm preaching today. 3%. That's a, that's a lot of people that go into church, play in church, being religious, but not realizing that as it was in the days of Noah, where immorality, corruption, violence, lawlessness is out of control, uh, that's what's going to be a sign of the end times. Just before I return, Jesus said, it's going to look like this. We won't even get into at the in the times of Noah in today's study about what the Nephilim were all about. Anybody ever heard about the Nephilim in the Bible? That's a word, a people, a group in the Bible. Fallen angels cohabitating with the daughters of men, creating a society of uh, demonic zombie-like beings that would rule the world. So when you watch Brad Pitt in World War Z, which I've just seen the title, I wouldn't watch it. But all of that stuff, yeah, it's a picture of somebody's mind of what life is like without a Messiah. What life is like when you're one nation under government, no longer one nation under God. In uh, Second Thessalonians, boy, I got a rat. We need a part two. Second Thessalonians two seven. This lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain a secret until the one who is holding it back steps out or is taken out of the way. And then it goes on to describe the Antichrist and all the deception and all the, the evil work that uh, is crafted. I always had thought that was the Holy Spirit. But then I realized this is a rapture scripture. He that is taken out of the way is describing the, the believers being raptured. And so... That time is close, I believe. We're in a tsunami of unrighteousness and ungodliness. And we're the ones that are here to hold that back. Right? Well, what can I do? You can hold that back. In your own unique way, you say, no, enough is enough. You're not coming for my grandson. 
You're not coming for all those innocent kids. When did we decide that kids were no longer innocent and keep your head? Teacher, leave those kids alone! (laughs) As Pink Floyd famously once sang. (laughs) It's a rapture scripture. Right? And But think about this. What precedes the rapture is something else probably needs to be taken out of the way. If America falls, who's going to be the city uh, that shines a, a bright light to the world? Are we all going to go to Canada? Oh, Justin Trudeau will make you happy. Where are we going to go? America is the only one nation under God country in the world right now. And if America falls, who's going to hold back the darkness? If believers in the church of the United States of America don't say, not on my watch. No, this this ain't going to stand. And you know what? I never voted. I'm voting now. I've always voted. Well, Christians ought not be involved in politics. What do you think Elijah was doing when he confronted Ahab and Jezebel? The king and the queen, the political leaders in Israel at that time, were bringing back idolatry, paganism, heathenism, secularism, and Elijah said, "Uh uh-uh, not on my watch. And he took on 450 prophets of Baal. And what's commonly uh, missed, another 400 prophets of Ashtoreth. People that voted for Baal. I pledge my support and allegiance to Baal and Ashtoreth. Ishtar. Easter. So, look, we're in a season right now where uh, we have an opportunity to make our voice heard. Right? So I encourage everybody, make your voice heard. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. Don't fo- vote for Republican or Democrat. Vote Lamb of God. Vote by which, which platform, which party, which people uh, closely rese- more closely resemble standing up for traditional Bible values. It may seem like the lesser of two evils. <laughs> but if you if you had a 350 pound evil or a 98 pound evil, choose the lesser. You got a better chance of turning that 98 pound evil around and uh, maybe we can uh, take our country back and enjoy. Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? George Barn is saying, eh, you, you might have to look somewhere else, uh, not America. 2% of the people, 98 out of 100 parents don't impart a worldview, a biblical worldview. So, look, until Jesus returns, what's our job? Stay ready. Be strong. Believe the truth. Search for the truth. Hunt for the truth. Don't just be a sheep led to the slaughter. Well, I'm not interested in all of that. 
You better be interested. <laughs> because there's lawlessness coming to your neighborhood real soon if we let this thing continue on. Right? And we need to be a voice to those that have been taken captive by a secular, atheistic, unrighteous, destructive spirit. That Nimrod spirit. Jesus said, Occupy! Be a force for good until I return. And the people that do that, well done. How, how would you like to hear that when you make hit the streets of gold? Well done. Well done. It's not your job to change everything, but it's your job to do what you can do to make sure that the Lord is lifted up. So let's close in prayer. I've gone just a little over. My apologies. Father God, we love You. We stand with You. We stand with the Bible. We stand with biblical values. And we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and all the standards and laws and guidelines and principles that it, it exudes. We take authority right now as a church over every spirit of deception, over all spiritual blindness, and we rebuke every power and principality in the name and by the blood of Jesus. We pull down every ungodly, unrighteous, immoral stronghold trying to take over our nation. We rebuke the devil. We rebuke all of these evil things. And Father, we give You thanks for revival in America, an outpouring of the Holy Ghost and, and power. Uh, we thank You, Lord, that America is opening its eyes uh, to uh, whatever's been blinding us. Uh, we're taking off uh, traditional uh, blinders, and we're, we're going back to traditional values, and we're releasing a spirit of discernment, a spirit of wisdom and revelation right now in our lives and in our families families, in our church, in our nation. And we thank You, Lord, that You continue to strengthen us. You continue to lead us and guide us and empower us by Your Word. And we pledge to walk by faith. We pledge to live a supernatural, resurrected life. Uh, and we just love You, Lord, and we thank You that You're going to cause this election uh, to raise up new godly Christian leaders that cherish the Bible and the biblical principles that we cherish in Jesus' mighty name. Amen this morning and amen. Give the Lord a big praise.